0: Well, as you can see, this morning we start a brand new series of messages called Fruition. You'll find it helpful to pull out your message outline as uh, we start this new series of messages. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Hopefully you've picked that up by now with the various fruit flying around uh, in the media this morning. Uh, And the word fruition carries this, this idea of something moving to and coming to completion. It also means the state or action of producing fruit. And that's why we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, because when we display the different fruits of the Spirit in our lives, we live the type of lives that God created us to live. We live out the the way in which God wants us to live. And so this morning, what I want to do is I I want to sort of build a foundation for us to kind of get this concept in our mind to kind of think this through and sort of build off of this throughout this series over the next, well, it will be the next 10 weeks, nine weeks as we go through each one of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you've been alive for the last 10 years, you have to be aware of this reality show craze that's going on on our TV screens. The general idea, if you haven't seen this, and if you have, what planet are you living on? But the general idea of a reality show is that you take an ordinary person uh, and either get them to do extraordinary things or to react in extraordinary ways. Uh, The other thing with these reality shows is that you take an ordinary person and then you dramatically change their life uh, and change it drastically in many ways. Now, the question is, is why is it that these reality shows are just so popular today? Why do people like to watch this kind of stuff? I know some of us might think, well, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, but we kind of like to watch these sorts of programmes, don't we? Why is that? And there's a whole raft and variety of them. Well, simply because it's visual, we, we can actually see visual change. We almost see this before and after kind of effect, the changed life. And I guess in many ways, in kind of different sorts of ways, it gives us an element of hope. Because you see, this idea of changing a person's life, it just scratches at the surface of something that's deep and buried within us. The reality is, is when we stop and think about it, we all want to be different in some way. We all want to improve in some way. In fact, uh, as a matter of fact, take it to another extreme. We don't just want to be different, we want to be better people. But in our culture, what do we do when we want to be better? Well, very often we change the outside as opposed to the inside. That's what comes naturally. We, We want to be better, so let's take care of the outside stuff. And Maybe our appearance and weight and all those kinds of things. I mean, it's amazing how many, more and more people in the UK are having some form of cosmetic surgery. You know, a nip and tuck there, an injection of stuff here. And there's so much of that that's going on today. And we can point at those people. And we can kind of just go, oh, yeah, but look look at them. Why would they do that? Why would they change the outsides of themselves to feel better? And yet maybe we should also point the finger at ourselves as well. What do you do to make yourself feel better? What do you do to make yourself feel better about yourself? Some people just go shopping and spend loads of money on on stuff. Some people drink. Some people drown themselves in television. Some people work too much. Others eat too much. The bottom line is this, it it doesn't matter whether it's Botox or booze, what we're pursuing is to feel better and we will do things to make us feel better. But for these, very often it's this kind of outward appearance, but for these outward makeovers, these feel betters, the reality is, is that they don't really fully satisfy They gratify for a little bit, the outer makeover, the eating, the new house, the car, all those kinds of outward things. Whatever it is we do to try to change our outside world, our outer world, they feel good for just a little while. But they don't satisfy long term, do they? And what I find interesting about these types of reality shows is that even though a person who's had had their whole outer world transformed they're still left with their inner world, aren't they? They're still left with the real person. They're left with themselves still, who they really are at the end of the day. You see, your inner world makes up how you live, how you make decisions, how you give and receive love, how you relate to others. So change all you want on the outside. Buy the toys, buy the stuff affect your outer world but at the end of the day you still have your inner world to deal with don't you and i think this you see this with many uh, kind of reality show programs and in particular i think you see this the reality show the apprentice now i have to admit i do quite like watching that program i don't know if any of you others any of you here like watching that program i just find it fascinating it's entertaining as well but I think it kind of sums up what I've just been saying They're trying to change it outer world. Now, if you haven't seen The Apprentice, the idea is this, is that Lord Sugar takes wannabe business people and he puts them through gruelling tests to see if they are worthy enough to be Lord Sugar's apprentice. And at the end, one lucky winner gets an investment into their business of £250,000 from Lord Sugar. And if you watch this show, throughout the show, over the weeks as you, as you follow them, the contestants kind of constantly, they're trying to please Lord Sugar in their efforts. And, and each of the candidates are kind of jostling and vying for his attention. Now, some get it for all the wrong reasons, incidentally. But, but if you watch this programme, you kind of get hooked on it, because you just want to think, what a bunch of losers, really. How on earth do they get on this programme? And then you're waiting for the, who you think should be fired each week. But have you wondered why thousands upon thousands of people apply to be on The Apprentice? And why 18 uh, contestants work so hard to win the show? Well, it's because they want to become like him. They want to be as successful as Alan Sugar. They want to learn from him and his team. They want to watch and learn the skills so that they can become a successful businessman or woman. And as I began thinking about this new series of messages, looking at the fruit of the Spirit in our lives... Isn't that what we really want to be if we are a follower of Christ? Shouldn't we want to be an apprentice of Christ? That is, following his lead and example. And that, that's what apprentice means. In fact, the Bible uses a different word, a similar word. It's the word disciple. Being a disciple of Christ. That we follow his lead and example. That our lives are changed eternally changed because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore we want to be like him. We want to be his disciple. You see, most of us are more than a little interested in changing because we realise there's always room for improvement. A great tragedy is a wasted life, a life never willing to change and develop and grow. And if you want to see a picture of what a changed life looks like, well, then Galatians 5.22 tells us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These nine qualities describe the character of a fruitful, productive Christian. The question is, how do we get those character (coughs) qualities? I mean, obviously, God doesn't just zap me one day and all of a sudden these qualities materialise in my life. He uses a process. And that process is something called a theological word. It's kind of what you read about in these theological dictionaries. But the word is this. The theological word is sanctification which sounds a bit of a fancy pants word, I realise that, but that's what it means. What is that? Well, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, the Apostle Paul describes for us what this is, this process of sanctification as a two-part process, where he first says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then he turns it around and he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And the key to understanding these verses is this little word, out, in verse 12. Notice that Paul doesn't say, work for your salvation. That's a big difference. To work for something means to earn it, to deserve it, to merit it. And the Bible clearly teaches that salvation is not something we have to work for. It is a free gift of God's grace given to us, secured by the Lord Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. But Paul also says here, work out your salvation. And he is talking about a spiritual workout. So for example, in a physical workout, you develop or tone the muscles that God has given you. So therefore, to work out means to cultivate, to make the most of what you have been given. And it's exactly the same in a spiritual workout. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, look, cultivate your spiritual life. That is our part. God's part is He provides the power, and He does that through the Holy Spirit. And so, when we commit our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to empower and to direct us. The Spirit of God gives us this new strength, this new vitality, and the desire and the power to do what is right, to live the kind of lives that we should be living. And as the Holy Spirit works within us, we become more and more like Christ. We become his disciple. We become like him. And what the Bible teaches about change, in other words, the biblical position of this idea, this theological idea of sanctification, is that there is a God part on the one hand and there is an our part on the other. God's part is his power. Our part is our cooperation and submission. We cooperate in this process of change, but God's power through his Holy Spirit controls the process. Now that's important why we understand all of that right at the beginning, because as we look at these fruits over the next nine weeks, we need to realise that we do have a responsibility, but there's also the God part as well. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to understand this. That God's number one purpose is to make you like Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be thinking about over these next 10 weeks in this series, Fruition. That God's number one purpose is to make you like Jesus Christ. That if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are to want to become like Jesus. You won't be Jesus, but you want to be like Jesus. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make the child of God more like the Son of God. And what is Jesus like? Well, his life on earth embodied the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. He truly was love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus embodied all of those fruits, all of those characteristics. And that's what God wants to see in your life. That's what sanctification is all about, changing and being changed to be like Christ. Now of course we're all at different stages in our spiritual journey. Some of you are sincere seekers, you're checking the God thing out, you're weighing it all up, you're looking at it all and then you've got others who've been walking with the Lord for, I don't know, 50 plus years with a deep relationship with him and then anybody else in between. It doesn't matter where you are today because this term still applies to you. God wants to change you. If you're a Christian, The good news is is that God is changing you. God is at work. That should encourage you. That even when you blow it, even when you make mistakes, God is not giving up on you. God is still changing you. He's still at work in your life. He's still moulding you. He's not done with you yet. And if you're not a Christian, if you're checking this whole thing out, here's the good news for you. You don't have to change and get your act together before God begins to change you. You Some people think, well, I've got to get everything together and then I'll become a Christian. Not at all. A lot of people think that they're not good enough to be a Christian. Here's the thing, none of us are. You don't have to get your act together first. You come to God just as you are. And then he changes you. It begins, first of all, we start a relationship with Christ. And then you become automatically a disciple of Christ. And then he moulds and changes you. In fact, the promise is in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17... Paul says what this means is that those who become, a, become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore for the old life is gone. and new life has begun. The old life, in other words, the life without Christ, that is gone. The old life is referring without a relationship with Jesus. It's our old spiritual nature or our sinful nature. This new life, though, has begun. This new nature, this new life with Christ, it's a new life. It's a new supernatural relationship with God. It's when we go from God's creation to God's child. It's when you might go from being a seeker to someone who is now saved. A new life has begun. And in this new life, we are in the process of being sanctified. We're in the process of being changed. That's why the Apostle Paul summarises the process of change in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. He says this, and he kind of gives personal, personal testimony here. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection. And that's good news, isn't it? Because if he hadn't arrived yet, then that's encouraging for us, isn't it? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul saying this. Well, that's great news for us, isn't it? But he says, he says, but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Uh, and the big idea here is this, is this new life means that we are in this, in this new race, And in this new race or journey or process, God wants to change us. So, for example, he wants to take our discontent and change it to joy. He wants to take our insecurity and change it to peace. He wants to change our bitterness to goodness. He wants to take our lust and change it to genuine love. He wants to take our mean streak and transform it to goodness. He wants to take our edgy personalities and transform it to patience. He wants to take our anger and change it to gentleness. He wants to take that which is out of control and transform it to self-control. See, here's the thing about being a Christian. God doesn't just want to kind of fine-tune our manners and make us quiet little Christians. That's not what he's about. No, through the Holy Spirit, he wants to transform our character, completely change us, so we become like Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. Over these next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. And that is following his lead and example. And in this series, my aim is that I want you to see that God has a picture for an attractive life. Why you and I want to be better is because God wired us to be better, and that he gave us this road to walk down to be better, not kind of based in our own strengths, but actually by the Holy Spirit moulding us and changing us and us in obedience and submission to his will and to his guidance. See, when you and I follow the teachings of Jesus, when we show the nine fruits of the Spirit in our lives like Jesus did, We become better people. In fact, we become more attractive. I don't mean good looking. I mean attractive in the sense of people look at our lives and we attract people not just to us, but we point people to Christ because we live differently. And it not only changes the way that we live our life, the decisions that we make, the kind of different kind of people that we are, but as I said, it just reflects God. It reflects the character of Christ and it points people to him. The more you live out the nine fruits of the Spirit in your life, the more people will begin to be asking you about unseeing you as different and saying, well, why are you like that? Which then gives you the opportunity to tell them why. That you have a saving and living relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to unpack each one of these fruits in the weeks ahead. But this morning, I want to kind of just drill down a little bit more on this idea of being a disciple. And we see all of this in Galatians 5. And there's three things I want you to notice. First of all, let's start by looking at the picture of a disciple. Now, there are nine attributes listed that are called the fruit of the Spirit, as I've been saying. And these attributes should be flowing out of every person who is a disciple of Christ. Galatians 5.22, again, here it is. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control here there is no conflict with the law now let me just explain that phrase no conflict with the law what Paul was doing is he's writing to this church and he's basically saying this he's saying look you guys you're spending all of your time focusing on the law now there were 613 laws in the old testament plus hundreds of human traditions that were people were focusing on and it was becoming a burden for them Paul says, look, what's really important is, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. None of these are going to offend your laws. Let's just focus on what's really, really important. So what I've done on your outline, I've pulled them out. You'll see them there. I've bolded them and i put a little box by them because I want you to see God's picture of a disciple. As I look at that picture, I have a couple of questions. Which one of those don't you want in your life? So I can't imagine anybody sitting here today saying, do you know what, Phil? To be honest, I, I don't want self-control. I, um, I pretty much like living a life of gluttony and debauchery and total self-destruction because I find that very productive for me in my life. No one says that, do they? And if they do, they need some help, I think. So then it makes me think of this. How many of you here could use at least three of these fruits in your life right now today? So I'm going to ask you to do something. Don't panic. You'll suddenly start panicking now, cringing. All I want you to do is take your pen and just put a cross or a tick or a mark by the three that you feel you need most at the moment in your life right now. You don't need to show it to anybody. This is just for you, between you and God. But as you look at those nine fruits, out of those nine, you could do more than three. But let's just focus on three. What three do you think, do you know what, I need more of that in my life right now. I need patience at the moment. Or I need, I need gentleness at the moment. Or, do you know, a bit of self-control would go amiss at the moment. Whatever it might be, just tick one of those boxes. Because what I want to do is I want to show you, you see, this is the picture of a disciple of Christ. Uh, and it doesn't even compare with what the world has to offer. God's picture of who you can, uh, can be can't be purchased. It, it, it's free. It, it can't be bought. I mean, you don't, you don't earn it like the contestants trying to earn Lord Sugar's approval. It's free when you become a follower of Christ and you allow God's spirit to invade your life. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well... You know, if all all these nine things are available to me free, how come when I look at my life and I do a self-inventory of my life, that these fruits of the Spirit, well, they're kind of absent? How come I'm not producing them in my life? I'd like them, I'd like at least a few of them, but why do I not see them as evidence in my life? Good question. So therefore it leads to, secondly, the problem of a disciple. The problem of a disciple. Paul outlines for us what the problem is when we're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And he tells us this in verse 17. He says, "...the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite to what the Holy Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict." So if you're not producing the fruit of God's Spirit, maybe God's Spirit isn't in you. Even though it's free, even though God wants to invade your life, maybe you've never believed in and invited Jesus Christ into your life. In other words, you're not a Christian yet. So therefore, you're not producing the fruit of God's Spirit. Well, that's for you, the first step is to invite Christ into your life, to recognise what he did for you upon the cross, that he took your sin and died in your place, and to realise that you need to believe in him and invite him into your life as your Saviour and your Lord. When you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and invades your life, dwells in your life and begins to change your life. But if you're here today and you have believed and received Jesus Christ into your life, at the point you committed your life to Jesus, as I said, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in your life. He lives inside of you. However, the Bible says that there's a conflict going on. The conflict is between our old sinful nature on the one hand and on the other side is God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. That many times, especially when we're left on our own, our tendency is to satisfy the old sinful nature. And that happens every day, all the time, throughout the day. Let me give an example. Let's talk about when you're leaving church after service. So you're driving home, and as you're driving home, you see on the side of the road, someone who's distressed, they've broken down, their car's broken down, the bonnet's up, and they need help. Maybe you're at the traffic light, and you can see it. Now you're faced with a situation. You could pull over and help them. And in helping them, you could display all nine fruits of the Holy Spirit right there in one stop. I could take God's route. Or what happens, all of a sudden my old sinful nature kicks in, and you go, I really don't want to stop. I'm hungry, I, I want some lunch. Um, and then you realize, begin to rationalise, yeah, but I'm, I'm not a mechanic, I mean, I don't know how to fix a car. There are other people, somebody will help them. What, what do we do? Well, we drive on. Now, I realise that's totally fictitious, it would never happen to anybody here. But the idea of the illustration is this, of how God's roots and our old sinful nature's root collide all the time every day with different situations and different things that crop up and that's the problem, isn't it? There is this tension, there is this battle that goes on. There are other kinds of fruits that are reflected in our internal ugliness. They're called the bitter fruit of the selfish spirit. Here's what Paul tells us about that in verses 19 through 21. He says this, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, in other words, I'm not going God's route, I'm going my own sinful, fleshly nature way, your lives will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, sexual immorality, eagerness for lustful pleasure, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other kinds of sin. And some of you listen to them and go, well, you've just described my family. Or or these could be the chat hens of my autobiography or something like that. What I just read is a graphic image of what happens when I don't allow God's Spirit to control my life. And when I don't allow God's Spirit to control my life, you know what I'm capable of? Well, I'm capable of me. You know what I'm capable of? Well, some really ugly stuff some stuff that I think about and things that come to my mind and things that I don't want to do or things that I do want to do and I'm capable of some really ugly stuff. Now let's talk about you. You're probably capable of even uglier stuff. That's why we all need this inner makeover, don't we? And so thankfully, you and I, we don't have to live at this problem stage. We need to recognise the problem of being a disciple. We need to recognise this tension, this battle between our sinful, fleshly nature and then God's spirit. We need to recognise that because if we don't recognise that, we'll just sit there. We'll be stuck at this roadblock and go, well, I can't do anything about it. So I just kind of live a second rate kind of Christian life. And that's not what God wants for you. Wants you to live fully the kind of life to be a disciple of Christ and to embody and kind of live out the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. So, So, what do we do? Well, we don't have to live at this problem stage anymore if we don't want to. Because, thirdly, let's move on to the plan of a disciple. And it's a great plan because it's God's plan. It's a plan to be a disciple of Jesus. Paul tells us this in verse 16. He says, so I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Verse 25, if we're living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. There's the plan. But what does that plan actually look like? Well, let's unpack that plan a little bit. On your outline, you'll see a bold A, B, and C. Now, I'm very well aware that this kind of might feel elementary stuff, A, B, and C. This is easy. Folks, this is not easy. This is hard. When we really, If we're really serious about God's plan to be a disciple of Christ, then this plan is challenging. The theory's easy. It's great. Oh, yeah, terrific. Yeah, we could do that as you walk out the door. But actually putting it into practice is incredibly hard. So let's talk about God's plan, how we can start to be a disciple of Jesus, how we can follow his lead and example. The A is this, act as if God has given you these gifts. Act as if God has already given you the fruits of the Spirit, because if you have a relationship with God, he has filled your life with his Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control, all of those are available to you. So what that means is God has the power to produce love in my life that I've never felt before. What that means is that God has the ability to bring joy into my life in the midst of a chaotic life. What that means is the fast-paced world that I live in with all these things and to-do lists and the pressures and all the stuff that I feel and the kind of challenge and the pressure that I feel every day, God's Spirit can give me a sense of peace in the midst of all of that stuff when I'm going through those kind of challenges. Act as if. If God says is true, this is the fruit of God's spirit, then we can assist the process by acting as if those fruits have been given to us. Now, some of you are already debating with me in your mind on this act as if part. So let me kind of give you an example. Let's imagine there's, um, there's a neighbour on your street, on your road, who you don't like. Now, I know that's fantasy, it would never, ever, none of us would ever be like that. I realise that, so work with me. But 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 it's a neighbour who you don't like. You look at one of the fruits of the Spirit that says kindness. You don't want to express kindness to your neighbour. You don't like your neighbour. What's natural if you don't like a neighbour? Well, what's natural is that you just want to egg his house or um, or I just want to kind of secretly in the night put a for sale sign up outside his house, you know... Those are things that people have told me, you know. No, I've never thought about that. It's never entered my mind, those kind of things. But goodness is what's going on on the inside, remember? Goodness is your character. Kindness is an expression of your goodness. But you don't feel that for your neighbour. So what I'm saying, act as if you are kind. You don't follow or do what's natural. Instead, I act as if I'm kind. And that will change your heart towards your neighbour that may well result in you actually showing kindness to them. I'm taking these steps, I'm acting as if I'm kind, I'm doing the possible, and then God's Holy Spirit now does the impossible. With those acts, he begins to mould me and shape me to where eventually it becomes a natural reflection of God's Spirit inside of me. Does that make sense? You know, I've often done this... I've talked to people who perhaps have struggles in their relationships, particularly in their marriage, and say, "I just don't love him or her anymore." And I say, "Well, act loving towards them, because those feelings will follow. A- act as if. What does it mean? Well, maybe next time you're in a room with someone you can't stand, maybe a colleague at work, perhaps, you act as if by displaying the fruit of the spirit. let's say kindness again, and you offer to make them a cup of coffee. Something very simple but you act as if and then God's spirit within you will begin to mould you and change you and shape you until you begin to naturally be able to show those fruits of the spirit, the products of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now this isn't easy, I know, this is challenging but remember what I said earlier on as I quoted Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13, work out your salvation, it is God who works in you. There is an our part, there is a God part in this. Cultivate your spiritual life, that is our part. God's part is he provides the power through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gives you a new strength and vitality and a desire and the power to do what is right. Now this isn't easy stuff. But you do it even though it doesn't come naturally. You do it and display God's fruit and God does the impossible until it becomes natural to you. It's not about the other people, it's not about them, it's about, remember, what I've been saying is about your inner world. And while I'm acting as if God has given me these gifts, at the same time, B, believe that God is the only power source. Because if I don't believe that God is the only power source to help me as I seek to become like Jesus, all the A becomes is an act it's just an act but if I believe that while I'm taking these action steps God is the only true source that empowers me to keep taking those steps and until I believe that here's what's going to happen I will keep looking for other things to change my outer world until I believe that God is the only true power source I will keep going down that path and to other sources that I think will deliver but they won't deliver You see, that's what the world wants us to believe. It wants us to believe all the outer things to change us. But here's the point. You can believe that money is the source. You can believe a bigger home, a better job, a better spouse, whatever it is you think you need, but once you get it, you don't have God's Spirit. You're going to be dead inside. And love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control will elude your life. In fact, Jesus told us that he is a source of a true disciple in John 15, verses 4 to 5. He says, "'Remain in me, and I will remain in you. "'For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, "'and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. "'Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. "'Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit, "'for apart from me you can do nothing.'" Jesus, the God-man, is saying, I am the vine, you are the branches, I am the only true source that is going to help you produce this kind of fruit. And therefore that raises a question. We've got to decide either that's true or Jesus is lying. Which then makes me think of another question. What vine are you connected to? Are you connected to the vine of Christ? Or are you connected to the vine of this world? Because no matter what, you are going to produce fruit connected to one of those two vines. The question is, what kind of fruit? Now, if you're connected to the vine of the world, you're going to produce the bitter fruit that we looked at a moment or so ago that comes from your selfish old nature. Or you're going to produce fruit that comes from being connected to Christ by the Spirit of God. What vine are you connected to? So I'm acting as if God has given me these gifts and, and, while, and all the while I'm believing that God is the only power source then ultimately I see choose God's way at every encounter. And this is an easier game. But this is what it means to be living in and walking in the Spirit. I'm tuning in God's way at every encounter. That's what it means to be mature in Christ. That it's not always this conscious decision every time. It just comes naturally to you. And that's what a disciple of Christ does. They naturally choose God's way every time. And as I thought about this last point, I think a lot of people don't choose God's way because they don't know God's way. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you you don't choose God's way because you don't know what his way is. So, for example, if I go to a restaurant and I don't know what's on the menu and the guy comes up and he says, what do you want? I'm going to say, well, I don't know. I don't know what you've got. I can't choose until you show me the menu to tell me what I can choose from, what I can get. So what I want to do is I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to take this little card that's inside your bulletin this morning and I want you to take it home And I want to challenge you to memorise it. Try to commit the fruit of God's spirit to memory. Why memorise it? Well, if I say, what is the fruit of God's spirit? You'd be able to say, well, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And if it's there in my mind and in my heart, it's going to serve as a filter in my mind. And it comes out in my words, it can seep into my heart, into my inner world, and then it affects my life. It affects the choices that I take. It affects me every area of my life. But if I don't know it, I can't do anything with it, can I? So we need to understand that it's God's will that we bear fruit. God desires for you to have fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Again, here it is, I think it's the NLT. I like the way it's put here. It says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And when someone becomes fruitful in their lives, not only does that person benefit, but the church also reaps the benefits. Others will see that it's possible to live the abundant life that Jesus promises. And when more people become convinced, they will give more time and energy to their relationship with Christ. And as people grow, the church grows spiritually, and when the church grows spiritually, it begins to focus on reaching out. If you memorise God's word and it's in your head, and it comes out in your words, and it seeps into your heart, it can leak into your actions that you're faced with, and the decisions that you have to make every single day of your life, you will make the right choice because you're living out the fruit of the Spirit. You're showing that in your character. You are being a disciple of Jesus. Because you see it's easy to choose God's way when well, we know what's available. Let's pray. And God, we thank you that you desire to produce in us the fruit of your Spirit. And many of us want to be better. We want to live a more attractive life. Many of us have gone the empty route and tried many other things in an attempt to better our own lives. We either failed or we don't do anything more than just adjust our outer world. So Father, we need you to change us from the inside out. We're incapable of this in our own power so we ask you, God, to give us the wisdom to see your way, the courage to choose your way and the strength to walk your way. We want to become a disciple of Christ and we ask this